You're listening to the Sound Architect podcast, uh, and I'm Paul Weir. Hi, I'm Alex. This is the Sound Architect, and I'm joined here by Paul Weir. And before we talk about No Man's Sky, which obviously everybody wants to hear about, let's talk a little bit about your history and how you ended up as the veteran in game audio that you are today. Uh, yeah, being called a veteran always makes me sound really old, <laughs> which I probably am, I suppose. So I've been in games for, I guess, almost 20 years. Um, I've only ever worked in games. I'm very fortunate to find a job kind of immediately in game audio. Um, historically, I guess, worked with mostly small companies. I've done 30, 40 games. Like my first couple of games were Discworld adventure games. And since then, worked on all sorts of racing games, adventures, strategy games. Really, I kind of forget the games I worked on. <laughs> but I've kind of always enjoyed being both a composer and sound designer. And then over the past, I guess, five, ten years, being audio director as well. Although it's increasingly rare that you can combine all the roles. And I guess uh, my involvement with No Man's Sky went back to when I left working for Eidos Montreal on the kind of the last Thief title, which I resigned from. And I picked up some work uh, at the end of Joe Danger 2 for Hello, then worked on Strike Suit Zero, another space action game, uh, went to work for Microsoft as an audio director, um, but managed to keep the links with Hello and then started working on No Man's Sky kind of around about first trailer which is right at the end of 2013 cool so that's a good like three years that you've been working on that uh yeah now it is i mean part time most of it uh, obviously very busy like past six months uh, i'm in a very very fortunate position slightly odd position of both maintaining the role i have at microsoft in their london studio mm. and also working with hello games so basically having two jobs and so far no one's fired me but i'm kind of <laughs> waiting for that but it's a great position to be in because, you know, they're very, obviously very, very different companies to work for. But I enjoy both aspects of the work. So, you know, I always say to people, if you want to be in audio, you know, forget about being rich. But if you can sustain a job doing what you enjoy, uh, particularly making sound and music, then, then you're successful. That is, you know, the only benchmark of success that you, you really need to use. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I was looking a little bit at your history, and it said about a while ago um, the course you started in the London College of Music. Yes, being yes. one of the first to focus on like games and interactive media, and like how did you go about like developing the modules for that and deciding what was and wasn't important to include? So I I, I still maintain that kind of a, that course I ran, which was fifteen years ago now. Uh, was the first ever game audio course, I think, in the world. I will say that until someone proves me wrong. And it was set up by the digital arts department at the time. I think I was probably too young or not experienced enough to actually run it really well. I mean, it's okay. And it was much more broad than just games. So we actually we did a bit of VR even then. Uh, we had guest sp speakers to talk about audio engineering. Basically, any kind of crossover between uh, audio and technology is kind of where that course came from. But I've always felt very strongly about having links with academia and, and, and giving lectures and talks, which 
I don't think I'm a natural lecturer. I just think, particularly in, in academic circles, although it's much better now, there was a stage where there were very, very few game audio professionals who also cross, o- cross over to academic circles. So I've run actually lots of courses. How I choose the content is usually kind of fairly arbitrary. I guess the best course really is one I run now at, in Helsinki, um, Alta University, which I've been doing for about Oh, cool. I think I've come up to my fifth year then now. So I just run a module for a week, normally in November. And that's that's determined entirely by what I think should go in. And because I have a broad range of students, so it's a combination of kind of basic sound design, um, using WYs, some very basic kind of music production, a lot of deconstructing games and their audio, a lot of kind of case studies, interviews with professionals in the field. It's kind of a whole, just a really broad cross section, which I think works works well. And the fact that we do it really intensely over a week, I think is helpful. But yeah, there's, there's, there's no simple answer what, what, what you should and shouldn't include in, in a game audio course. I think it is fairly arbitrary. Yeah. Do you think it's important to have like business skills? Because maybe quite a lot of people might go freelance. I think without a doubt. I think, well, you'll find pretty well all audio production courses do have a business component. Um, I know um, SAE School of Audio Engineers are quite hot on their business side, but but completely. And, and I usually I will talk about the business as well, because, you know, if you are freelance, yeah, you, you've got to run a business. You've got to manage your cash flow. You've got to invoice people. You'll know about VAT and all that lot. And it's not just doing the job. It's you know being financially responsible as well. And, you know, even though I work for, like, work for Microsoft as well, I still really always want to do things like as economically as possible. I, I'm just used to having really small budgets and keeping to my budget. Obviously, that's like, was important at Hello Games when there's so few of us and, and the game was, was self-funded. So let's talk about No Man's Sky because I know when I wrote my audio review for the game I touched on the fact that the music was written as an album by 65 Days of Static and then broken down into assets to fit the system so can you tell us a little bit more about the process and how it developed into the adaptive music that is now in the game? Sure I mean 65 has spoken quite a lot about what they did but yeah. obviously they brought on board really early on uh, because Sean Murray loves the band and he thought their, their, their sound would kind of fit the game internally. But I, I kind of agreed with him like right from the beginning that we should just let them write an album and not interfere. We didn't want a game album or game music, mm. whatever that means. Like, you know, we just wanted them to work in a way that they're comfortable with and not change their process because that's their sound. We wanted their sound. Alongside that, we developed our own music system, which we call Pulse, which is kind of a simple generative music system. And I was writing music into the game as well. So we knew that technically the system would work and uh, you know, you kind of conceptually the music would play in the right places and all that lot. But we didn't really get their music into the game until very late. I mean, it's really like, I think... March, April, really, when we started to properly get their music into the game. And at that point, rather than crowbar the album into it, although most of the album is in the game in kind of sections, I don't think we ever play a complete track. I think it's mostly sections. What what we then did is kind of we went back to their sessions, their music sessions, uh, to the stems, I mean, back, further back from the stems, so we could look at how they wrote the songs and 
some music elements came from that. They wrote more, quite a lot more music. And so if it come up with like a, let's say a piano melody, then we would go back and do more variations of that melody or do things, use that melody, but on different instruments. So it's almost like reconstructing and extending the work they did for the album without actually using the album itself necessarily. And doing that to a certain format so that I could put it into the music tool. So we had a very intense two or three months. Uh, I, I kind of went up and down Sheffield quite a lot. And they would just generate all these kind of bits, really bits of music, yeah, the individual components. So it'd be bass lines and guitar lines and percussion and all sorts. That then went straight into our music tool. And they would write quite detailed notes as to the logic of the music. So the great thing is because they're so technical, and because I'd shown them the tool as we were developing it, they they completely got what, what we were trying to do. And so we're able to, to basically write their music post-album in a way that would, would, would fit. And we were lucky that kind of that, that process did work really actually seamlessly. So I, I, I like the idea that what you get in the game is it's little sections of the album, but mostly like like, the background music is just like almost like reflections of what you hear in the album without ever actually being those particular tracks. Was that quite a long and difficult process? And like how much of that was you or how much of that was the band, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I would say most of it was a band. Yeah. Um, uh, again, they, you know, they were very good at understanding what it is that we wanted. It was helpful that our technical systems you know, did work, like there wasn't too much effort to get them up and running and you know since we started to get their music into the game then i can record that out of the game send it back to them go this is how it's working and so that whole process it was just like sitting down being really focused for a couple of months on just making more music assets based on the album in a way that in the format that, that we decided on and it was relatively painless it was bloody hard work yeah, but yeah. pretty well everything they did went in and at the same time, I wrote a little bit of music, like vast majority, 65, but um, like the music of space stations, the map music, uh, there's one or two other bits. It's kind of me using the same systems, just so I could say I wrote some music. Because <laughs> it's getting, getting itchy feet. Like, I, I like to carry on doing yeah. music. But, but their style works great in the game, um, and I'm pleased with the outcome. Um, but also, there's a lot of like background logic to the music. So in, in controlling what you hear, when you hear it, and how it reacts to the player and quite a lot of just like kind of randomness in there as well so that sometimes things happen that in a way that's designed and sometimes it's not designed uh, but your brain fills in some of the gaps so that, that kind of I, i'm kind of quite pleased with what i did with, with the music um, obviously we can do more and you know we hope to go back into the studio and record more stuff with them in, in future content updates but now it's really easy because our system's in place. We can slip in new soundscapes really very, very easily. But yeah, I think like I think the whole music package, given where we were, say, six months ago, I, I think is kind of pleasing that it did all come together. Yeah, I think it works really well. Like, it's only a very, very small amount of time where you'd be like, oh, that's a bit mm. not, not it doesn't make sense or whatever. But that's fine. You know, and, and we talked about that kind of in the studio that, almost you kind of almost want things to go a little bit wrong sometimes yeah. because like if you put too strict a boundary on and it just goes for sound design as well 
you know, on the rules that you're using. But it actually doesn't, you know, you're kind of boxing yourself in. And you want to experiment a bit. You want to just keep pushing outwards a little bit. And if that means that interesting things happen most of the time, but some time occasionally it goes a little bit wrong, I think that's fine. You know, in the context of a game, that's okay. And, and it's very different from, say, working in film, where, for many, many reasons, but, you know, it's absolutely controlled and everything has to be 100% right all the time. I think the right attitude in this kind of game is, like, if it does go wrong, if you see, like, behind the curtain occasionally, that's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world. Um, and with your system, um, Pulse, is that, like, a standalone that plugs into the game engine? Uh, the, so there's, like, a front end, which is standalone, and that enables us to add music assets and, and the logic and it packages it all up in a way that, that the game understands. But the, the, if you like, the playback logic is just, you know, it's just a bit of code in the game. So it's not a plug-in as such. Whereas, uh, maybe we'll speak about this later, but kind of the, the vocal synthesis element is completely a plug-in, which works with the audio engine. Yeah. Okay. Um, as No Man's Sky was made by such a small team in a reasonably short amount of time, if you were given sort of infinite time and infinite money maybe would you go down the exploration of real-time synthesis of music or would you always want to stick to recorded material well yes it's a good question um and i mean i've uh, for at least 10 years i've been making generative music this goes back to your first question like what what is it that i do and i do a lot of installation work so i I, I sound design like music for like ambient music for like shopping centres and banks and uh, quite a few airports as well. So I literally didn't like music for airports. Mm. And my attitude has always been so far that actually you, you're, the computer side of things you want to be relatively dumb and you want to push pretty well all the creativity onto the composer because that's what they do. They make sounds and like I didn't even attempt to create a synthesis plugin for the music because 65 65 they have a sound that's what i want them to sound like now that's not to say i won't ever do that so one of the fallouts of our um, vocal synthesis system is we could potentially generalize it and make it more of a music synthesizer and and we've got some kind of ideas about that we, we were just talking about so um, it was never thought to do it in this version of the game. And I think that was the right attitude because I think focus, I think just making a generative music system and then making loads of music to fit into that is, you know, ambitious enough. But as you say, like with more time and more resources, um, I think a synthesis component uh, could, could definitely work. Um, and it is something we're very, very early days potentially looking at. Yeah, I mean, I don't know any projects that use much real-time synthesis in games anyway so just the create creature systems are quite a new step in a direction yeah and also the you know it will change their tone it will change how they sound like because it will sound like the synth sounds um and that's I, i'm not massively in favor of that yeah i think you know for you if you hire someone because of their sound you want their sound um, and you don't want to impose something else on them that is not like native to their style. Yeah, that's true. I guess if you were starting from a clean slate and didn't have a band on board, that may be a different picture. Yeah, if it was just me, then certainly we talked about yeah 
what would happen if we if we did real time synthesis. I think I've still got some way to go in terms of like the playback logic. I think I'm still more focused on how do we control the playback? How do we make it feel like it's responding to what the player's doing? How do we make it more interesting and, and add more variety and force variety into the system over time? So I think there's still work there to be done, but the synthesis stuff is definitely there. And as I said, like, we're looking at it in parallel. If you were to think of like a music system that was synthesized, would your preference be on something that was quite heavily music theory based or would you look at a sort of more crossover between music and soundscapey experimental genre? I don't know. I think when you go pure synthesis, then, you know, you do end up with certain genres of music. Mm. And I'm not sure they would necessarily fit our game. I, I think, like, where I am at the moment, I think I'm more interested in, like, the sound design aspect of it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, blurring those lines. Yeah, as I have, a, like, other titles, I think, like, between yeah. sound design and music, I think that's more interesting and, yeah. and more practical. So, again, we talked a little bit about the creatures, but some, like, really incredible work went into the sounds and vocalisations of the monsters, whatever they're called, discoverable in the game. How did you come to the decision to create this piece of software and why was that the place that you wanted it? Yeah, so that was an idea to, well, to synthesise creature vocals was an idea right from the beginning. And yeah, I'm not sure we're 100% there yet. I think like we've made some some good strides and I think as it, like we're doing stuff that people haven't done before. I still think there's a lot more we can do. And again, right now we're talking about exactly how do we extend it, add more variety uh, and make it sound like even more different um but for me the problem was as a sound designer how do i make the creatures make their sounds like you know where does that material come from and if it's recorded material first of all you're gonna need a lot of it to cover obviously a huge range of creature types and recording animals is hard like it's 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 if you do it yourself uh, it's really difficult where do you get the animals from it's expensive and very time consuming or you know, you sometimes have to go to libraries. But if you go to the libraries, you don't always have the, the breadth and the variety that you'll need for the game. And you can use hybrid solutions. You know, you can process real sounds, which which is one way of doing it. But because I'd worked with Sandy White, I mean, I've worked with him for, for many, many years, since my first game, more or less. He's a very bright guy, uh, very clever dude. And he'd already written a really simple voice synthesizer to run an ARM chip that he played me separately to, to, to the game. And that was actually kind of a rudimentary vocal track synthesizer, because that's how he's doing the voice synthesizer. So I knew, like, in theory it was possible. It was just whether in practice could we do it with low CPU, low latency, get it running as a plugin in the game, get it to compile on PS4. It was all like the nuts and bolts, if that would work. But we had the prototype up and running pretty quickly and within a few months. And then the rest of the time was like improving it, embedding it into the game in a really deep way. Actually, a lot of really interesting questions that you don't see in terms of how is it performed? Like, it's one thing to make a sound, but how do you control that sound? And do you do it purely mechanically? Do you use the computer to, to as like the performer? Do you use a human performer, like human capture and, and add that? I mean, there's a lot. that was the difficult questions, like the performance aspect. So I know that... The, the monster sounds are kind of related to their like head to body ratio yeah. and that, their sizes but what are the kind of controls in the game that change the sound as it happens 
So from the game, we get uh, Vig type, which is kind of what, what what creature class it is. And as a player, you don't really see that because Vigs look, can, can can be deformed, so ends up looking very different. But it's something like like for the animators will use that. So that's the first thing. I, I mean, a good example is like, is it kind of like a rodent type of creature uh, or a spider? Right, really different. They'll use different Vigs. The second one is their emotional state. So they've got know about 10 emotional states so they can be happy they can be angry they can be in pain and die and kind of all those things uh and then the parameters of the creatures are just their size and head body ratio so those all determine what vocalization it's going to do but then when it vocalizes there's loads of the parameters on the synthesizer that are randomized within boundaries but we also include performance capture elements which is a midi file of me playing the creature creature synthesizer as if it's an instrument and so that goes into it as well so there's a whole lot of factors which means it should sound different every time but again like i think it's okay i think like what we've done is is good um but there's definitely room for improvement in the ranger models and in how we do that performance capture it's quite clunky at the moment but it gives it you know for now it gives the game a, a, a distinctive sound and we've done all the hard work in understanding how do we create a real-time synthesizer for a game and how do we wire it all in and do do all the pipe work and now we're in, i think we're in a good position to then have fun with that and, and kind of extend it and, and use it for sounds, not just for creatures. So potentially we can use it for, for sound effects in the game as well. In terms of sound design, what's your favourite piece of sound design in the game? Oh, um, <laughs> I always like, I always like simple sounds and, and it always like, I always enjoy hearing a sound of a game where you know how you've recorded it and it's nothing to do with um, like what you see. Um, I don't know. I mean, towards the end, I always forget what I use to record sounds. I use, I mean, I, I'm a really lo-fi guy, you know, like quite a few sounds are just like me playing with bubble wrap, for example, yeah. like, like there's a, sli- a sliming sound, just bubble wrap, or like there's a plant that attacks you, that kind of whips up and attacks you. And that's like, just like washing up liquid bottle, <laughs> Amazing. me blowing into a plastic bag and stuff like that. That's all fun. I mean, that's sound design. That's what you do. Uh, I mean, I've spoken many times about the jetpack being like a Dyson hand dryer. You know, it's kind of, it's all that. And I I love using kind of real world sounds. For a long time, I wasn't happy with the water sounds. So me and Harry, one of the programmers, you know, we just went out to like a nearby uh, river near Guildford and just, you know, played for played for an hour, like splashing a bit of water, you know, chopping it up and then hearing it in the game. And because the context is different, like it tricks your brain into thinking, oh, I you know, I'm next to some water, I'm walking through water, all that lot. But if you actually see how it's made, it's kind of, it's really simple a lot of the time. That's probably the best thing. <laughs> well, I, I'm a big fan of simplicity. Um, you know, some companies, I mean, the fact is, like, I don't think I know a lot. Like, I, I look at what some sound designers do and how they work uh, and their, their knowledge. And it's, you know, it's amazing. Like, you know, their microphone knowledge and the equipment they've got and all this lot. I'm like, you know... I've got a little recorder, a little little stereo mic, and kind of that's how I do most things. And it, it doesn't suit everything, but I kind of, you know, I I I, I do enjoy that, and, and I'm permanently recording sounds. You know, going to my own library. 
Yeah, why ever complicate it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we have at the beginning of the game, Sean said something which actually kind of informed us all the way through, which is, you know, but basically don't make things any more complex than they need to be. You know, it should appear to be complex to the player, but from the code side, obviously you want it to be as simple as possible. Although our code is bloody complex, but <laughs> still, you know, you don't want to write fancy code or from a science I'm set to make things more complicated, any more complicated than they need to be because it's just going to cause trouble for yourself down the line. Well, it's been really awesome talking to you and I want to ask you a final question of sure. what's your favourite game that you've played for its use of audio and why? Oh, this is where I get into trouble. Uh, first of all, I wish I played more games that I haven't had time, understandably, trying to catch yeah, up of now. Course. <laughs> um, I have been, I'm still playing Lara Croft Go been playing that for a while. Oh, wow, yeah. So it. Um, really, really good sound design, that. I was kind of around when they were setting up Square Enix Montreal when we started the game. So you know, the game took a while, but I really like and respect how they just wanted to make a, a quality title, irrespective of the fact it's mobile. And uh, you hear it in the audio, I think, I think the music is really interesting and surprising, what, like the choices they made. Some really nice, subtle use of, of sound design. Um, really nice for early. I think I think like the whole package is really really well done. Awesome. Thank you. Well, it's been really lovely having you, and thanks very much for talking to us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you very much. 